I've never preached when I was this old before. As I've gotten this way, things have become clearer and yet more concerning. It was a few nights ago, as Dee and I have a pattern for doing, we pray together every night, and she fell asleep while I was praying. (laughs) I said, Lord God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, The woman thou hast given me has fallen asleep. (laughs) And I heard a voice within me say, cut to King James. (laughs) People have been falling asleep under your ministry for 55 years. So then he said, and beside, two days later, you fell asleep while you were praying. (laughs) So if I fall asleep while I'm preaching, please stand and dismiss yourselves. (laughs) And the last one out can turn out the lights. Mark chapter 12, beginning with verse 28. And I want to talk about an integrated life. One of the scribes came and heard them arguing. And recognizing that he had answered them well, asked Jesus, what commandment is the foremost of all? And Jesus answered, the foremost is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Dear Father, before your message can liberate our people, You must first liberate me. Oh, Father, would you pour out absolutely everything that your great heart desires to do through this body of Christ? Let nothing that you want to be done go undone. Have mercy on us and pour out your spirit upon us as we wait. Keep the enemy from hindering, antagonizing, or deadening in any way. For we are your people and we are hungry and thirsty and in need of you. And we are 
we're all just sheep. With your help, I've gathered together material and illustrations carefully. Please make them like windows in the, to the truth you have for us today. And now I ask you to set my words on fire for your praise and your glory. Amen. <clears throat> the Shema Israel is a prayer from the Torah that serves as a dynamic centerpiece <clears throat> of the morning and the evening Jewish prayer services. Its first verse encapsulates the monotheistic essence of Judaism. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. The next verse, verse 5, says, <clears throat> And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. <clears throat> I always like it when a speaker pulls out a glass of water. It means something. It means he's scared so bad he has no spit in his mouth. This passage is so important, not only to the Jewish people, but to us, because in it we find so much about who God is. The context of this chapter in, verse, in, Matt, in Mark 12 is that Jesus had been teaching, and he gave an illustration that provoked the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so they went aside and gathered together and decided on some questions to raise. And they came back to him and asked him questions about, about the worship of Caesar and about money. And they came back with a second question about heaven and about life after death. He answered both questions. And one of, the, one of the lawyers who was there is the one who, having heard these answers, realized he had to be very careful about what he said. So he raised this question, what is the greatest commandment? And so we've read it before you in our hearing. And that's the context of this. So I'm not taking it out of context, but just to be clear, if there's anything that I take out of context, it's Andy's fault. <laughs> and he will have to correct it when he gets back. Let me tell you a story about a, a man who made all the difference in my early years of ministry. Up until that time, 
My father had been the most important man in my life, and he probably still is, even though he's been in heaven a long time. But the second man came into my life after I prayed for a little over a year. Oh, God, I've got to have the truth. And I kept praying that. And the story I'm going to tell you now is from S.F. Porter's life. Reverend Sylvester Foster Porter. And now you know why everyone called him S.F. Sylvester Foster Porter. He was pastoring in his early years and God was blessing his ministry. And he walked about twice a week from the church down to the hospital to visit his people. And he was walking one day, and as he walked along, he heard the voice of the Lord that was so familiar to him say, Sylvester, run. And he said, but Lord, I can't do that. The people who live in these houses along here on both sides of the street know me. I'm their pastor and I'm supposed to be respectable and and I can't run. I said, run. But Lord, it just isn't right. I don't know what to do. How can I run when I'm going to the hospital and I'll, I'll get myself hot? I said unto you, run. He took off running. And he ran almost an entire block. And as he ran, he saw, first of all, a ball come down a driveway and then a little boy following it toward the road. And he saw the milk truck coming back in that day, milk truck coming. And he knew if he'd run when God said run, he'd be there. And all he could do was say, stop! And the child paused. And he went to the little boy, knew him, and his church, gathered him up in his arms. And the Spirit of God said to him, Sylvester, when I say run, run, that story speaks to me so much of that dear man. Today we're dealing with a God who's extremely personal, very real. I don't understand those who say that God doesn't speak to them. He doesn't talk loudly, but oh, does he ever speak, my dear friends. He's personal, he's loving, He's real. He knows more than we know. He can say things more clearly than we can say them. He's the God who's there. He speaks. He wills. He feels. He values. And he loves. He loves. He loves us. Verse 30 in that passage in Mark 22. 
is the key passage this morning that I'm focusing on. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, with all thy mind and with all thy strength. First of all, define a few words. Love. Love is agape love. It is the unusual, amazing love of God. It is an intense, active, soul-satisfying, vigorous, unchanging, selfless love. In other words, it's a love we know nothing about apart from God. But he wants us to willingly surrender to him and to find our relationship with him and to let him show us that love by our relationship, not just by one-way prayers asking for favors. And he wants us to know him in his word, not just when we read it, but when we think about it and when we meditate on it and when we ponder it and when we chew it and try to digest it and understand what it means. I came to a passage of scripture many years ago that has always concerned me. Um, It bothered me at first uh, because I didn't understand it. Now I understand a little bit of it. It bothers me more. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, and on through chapter 7. And it goes like this. What partnership has righteousness with unrighteousness? Or what with uh, um, fellowship with, with darkness? What, what communion has Christ with Belial? Or what union has the temple of God with idols? For God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, says the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Get that relationship in your mind and heart, and divorce yourself from any folly of thinking that God holds himself aloof and at a distance, for he wants his place within us. And then, I want to talk to you for just a moment about the temple, because in this passage where Paul says that we are the temple of the living God, I found some answers that I didn't understand about how we love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so in the temple, and we have the picture before us, I believe, yes, there it is. That is Solomon's temple. And you see in the foreground on the right, the four square edifice there, that is the, the altar where uh, animals were sacrificed, and then the laver is just, uh, just off center there in the front. And then there's the temple uh, that is a rough proximity, uh, or facsimile, I should say, 
of what Solomon's temple looked like. And you can see the entrance at the front there. And then you can notice that around the temple proper, uh, there are three levels of rooms that go all the way around. And that's, that's the unique way that the temple was built. There's one little door down there, and that door give access, gives access to three floors and three uh, levels of rooms that go around three sides of the, of the temple. That's really important. So you see there, that's kind of the makeup of Solomon's temple. And inside, inside that is, is a holy place and the holy of holies. And for approximation, the Holy of Holies was about 40 feet long, 20 feet wide, and 20 feet high. And the Holy of Holies, the small room, was 20 by 20 by 20. So it was that, that, was, that was the way it was constructed. And that is a picture of what the Holy of Holies may have looked like. As you see the cherubim, which were approximately 18 feet high. And then between them is the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. That's where the presence of God dwelt and was recognized. Now I want to talk to you about those rooms very quickly. The rooms around the holy place and the holiest of all. The rooms around there were filled with the trophies of what Israel had won in battles. There was gold and silver and precious things stuffed in those rooms. And then they had also the devices that were sometimes used in the worship. But it was full of all these things. And because of that, I say to you, those rooms around three sides of the holy place and the holiest of all, those rooms are typical of the human heart where we place the things that we value, our treasures. They're the things that we long for. They are in some respects our idols. Unredeemed. That's where our life goes. We have visions of power, authority, strength, honor, recognition, money, all kinds of things that become our idols. Oh, we, we wouldn't say they're an idol. No, I just need it. Well, that's ah, interesting that, you see, the heart the heart doesn't know itself very well. And in fact, you don't know my heart and I don't know your heart, but God knows all of our hearts. And the scripture says in Jeremiah 17, 9, uh, for the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. We don't know our hearts. Only God knows our hearts. So that, those rooms represent the heart. And God wants to have control of your heart. He wants those all opened up and he wants access to them. He wants to change your loves. Ultimately, if you don't give him that opportunity, you will fall prey to some kind of an addiction to yourself. 
either some addiction to control or power or manipulation or recognition or what, you could go on and on and on and on. There's all kinds of idols. And those addictions are what happens when your mind gives the will to your feelings and your heart. And when that happens, you're in a desperate state and only a work of God can change your life. There are many people in our country who are in that state now. And it's also very likely that some here have addictions that they don't want to admit. And then there's the soul. And the soul is, is in a sense the, the rooms around the holy of a holy place and the holy of holies. All of those are the soul. The soul is the invisible part of you. The soul is not the furniture in the holy place. It's not the furniture. It is the area where that takes place. And that's what God wants of you. He wants your mind. He wants you to think. He wants you to have ideas. He wants you to process memories. He wants you to think about important things. He wants you to set goals. He wants your mind to be under his control. And the Spirit of God is the next part. And the Spirit of God, which all of us have a spirit, and we have an animating spirit. We're animated, we're alive. But that doesn't mean we're under the control of the Holy Spirit until we're born of the Spirit. And when that happens, the Spirit of God comes into us and we are given a new birth of spirit. And when God the Spirit comes into my spirit, I'm given new life. Something changes and God says, now Kenneth, I have a great plan for you. I'm going to utterly renovate the way you think in your mind and the things you value in your heart and I'm going to make you so that your life, your whole life will look more and more like me. But in order to do that, I'm going to drag all kinds of things out of your heart and out of your mind and I'm going to take them to the altar and I'm gonna put him to death there. And when I do that, it's gonna hurt. It's gonna hurt. Because we love our way of thinking and living. And God loves us so much that he cannot tolerate us wasting our life in our own way. He didn't give us new life so we would have fun and games. He gave us new life so we could reflect his glory for all eternity. So this is what is happening. Our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength are given over to him. <clears throat> now, I wanted to, I wanted to ex give an illustration of this on a different level. And so I've chosen to talk to you about something that's very dear to all of you and me. And that's Hurricane Ian. 
we have been under it for months. I'm going to ask uh, our president, Martin, if he would come up for a moment because I want to ask him some questions. I believe Shell Point has something they can show us about how to conduct ourselves uh, and, and help us understand what integrity or oneness of heart is all about. Martin, thank you so much. I really appreciate you doing this. I, and in all deference, I told him what to say. <laughs> I t- Actually, I didn't tell him a word to say, but I gave him the questions because I didn't want him to be completely caught off guard. But you have watched, you have watched him handle himself and his wife, he and his wife serve. And so I just want to pose a few questions for what I'm getting at is what has made Shell Point able to be the organization it is. What were your thoughts when you first walked out of the shelter? And by the way, we're at about six months as of this weekend. Mm -hmm. So my thoughts, not my first words, right? Because those I can't say here. Okay. Uh, Some of us had the opportunity uh, at the end of the the day of the, the water was rushing across our community to anticipate um, as we open the ark door what we might find. When you look out that window and you see six feet of raging water starting on the west side of our island and moving across and following the roads, and um, we had anticipated quite a bit of destruction as we came out of the shelter. And I think as I, um, along with Jason Smith, I think we were the first two to go out and start walking the path. Um, my first thoughts were of gratitude. Um, As I looked and I saw buildings still standing and roofs still in place and windows still in their frames, um, I was grateful. And I, from the time I first became acquainted with Shell Point, have truly believed this is holy ground and that God indwells here. Um, Not because of us, but because of his choice. And so as, as we walked the grounds, my first thoughts were that of gratitude when I saw that the, the potential for that water and ultimately that we were still standing. Oh, thank you for sharing that. Um, I've been in your office a few times. I felt like I felt when I went to visit the principal as a grade school student. And, and can you never learn? <laughs> and I never will. That's why I have the paddle. <laughs> Yes. However, while I was with you, I never remember seeing you drink the milkshakes and eat the bonbons that obviously go with the position exactly. you're in. And, uh, but I do respect you and admire you, and I have a couple more questions. Why were you at the buses greeting people in the rain and helping them off the bus? I didn't know I had a choice. Wait. <laughs> Yeah, the, the reason it is our mission. Um, I, I don't know, and it's for another day. Um, I, I am here, and Janet and I are here, because we genuinely believe we were called to this position. And we see this as ministry. And, and so, as part of ministry, we um, are fully aligned with the mission of this organization, which, in summary, is to be dedicated to the service of God and the care of his people. 
And so our passion, our heartbeat is aligned with that. And so we were at those buses um, because we are here to serve. And, and I would also say that we wanted our residents to know too that, that we're with you. We are here with you during this experience. Is there anything that comes to your mind to help us understand why your team works so well together during this crisis? Because it's, first of all, it's, it's, it, many of them lost so much of their own. Sure, sure. Um, I, I think there are, there are three reasons. First and foremost, the, the team here, um, exe the executive leadership team is likewise fully aligned with the mission of our organization. They're committed to um, God and to uh, service of God and the care of his people. And so we have that as a point of connection. That's what keeps us focused um, as well. I think the second thing is that, that they are thoroughbreds in their respective positions. We've been very fortunate. God has brought us folks that are excellent in what they do um, in their particular discipline. And then collectively as a team, we genuinely regard each other. We love each other and we will do anything for one another. Why, after never having had a storm surge in 54 years, were you able to mobilize the manpower so quickly? Again, I think that's all praise and glory to God. It, it is a miracle what we've been able to accomplish. And, and as the months have passed and we've chatted with other communities, whether that's on Sanibel Island or on Fort Myers Beach, um, no one has been able to see the progress in the timeline that we've been able to see it here at Shell Point, whether that's in our remediation of homes or, or mechanical equipment or other things coming. And I believe that's totally a blessing from the hand of God. But I would also say that the reason some of these outside vendors have been willing to come to Shell Point is the reputation of the community. And, and they, outside vendors over the years have seen the connection between our residents, and our employees, the regard, the respect that is there. And they know that when they come to this campus, they likewise will be treated with that same regard and respect. And so if they have choices as to where to go work, they choose to come here. Our employees and those outside vendors choose to come here because they know the culture of our community. What would you like to say to us? Step aside, Ken. <laughs> Andy, um, Andy. <laughs> um, I guess I, I, I apologize that I'm going to turn and you'll have my back, but I would say to you all, um, and you alluded to, this was alluded to earlier in the service, this has been a tremendous several years, right? This wasn't just a hurricane. This was three years of a pandemic where you were confined to your apartments mm -hmm. for a first year where you couldn't see your loved ones if you had loved ones in a healthcare level of care. And then on top of that, add wars and rumors of war. And add on top of that, record-setting inflation, where eggs are now $8 a dozen. Set on top of that, a hurricane where many of you were disrupted. And so it has been a period of time that globally, domestically, locally, we've been through a lot. And what I would want you to know is we have you. 
we have you. Our mission for 54 years has been dedicated to the service of God and the care of his people. And I know at times you may be sitting in your apartment and feel like you are all alone or that you can't take one more news story or you, as we approach hurricane season yet, yet again, that you just live in fear of what this year will be like. And I want you to know we have you. Trust that we have you and rest in that for no other reason than we're here to serve because we are dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what I would say. Thank you, Mark. Thank you so much. That means so much. I see in our community the integrity that God has within himself. And he wants every one of us to have within ourselves. As we allow the spirit of God to become in us in full control of the way we think and of what we value and how we relate to our neighbors one after the other. If I could have one thing come true, it would be that I will one day see every one of you in heaven and that your life will be so full of integrity that God will be able to say, welcome home, good and faithful servant. Pray with me. Father, thank you for the privilege of being your servant and your child. Thank you for the joy of being a part of this community. Thank you for the opportunity of worship. We pray that you would do us the supreme honor of walking with us as we leave here this morning so that everything you want to do in each one of our hearts will actually be done when we stand before you. In the name of our Savior Jesus, amen.